Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Project Egg Show. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Tom Ross, serial entrepreneur and CEO of Design Cuts. How the heck are you, Tom? I'm fantastic. Thanks so much for having me on, Ben. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Pleasure is 100% mine, and I'm just as excited. So let's jump right in. First question for you is, what is your story? Yeah, my story goes way back, man. So I was um, I was about 12 years old when I got into this stuff, and I was hanging out with my best buddy at the time, my oldest friend, and we were sat at his computer. And this is like much earlier stage internet back then. And I remember he right-clicked on a website and hit view source, you know, to spit out like the HTML code. And it spat this HTML code out, and he explained to me that people made these things. They didn't just like exist by magic. <laughs> And it kind of blew my mind. It was like the first time I saw the matrix or something. I was like, wow, like there's this whole world that I didn't know about. And I kind of got hooked from there. So we started dabbling and we taught ourselves like HTML um, at that age. And then we started building websites together. So we'd, we'd embark on these random crazy projects and just set up some websites that kind of never went anywhere. Uh, some were, you know, there were mini projects. There were some that at points were making us like, you know, $100, $200 a day when we're like 14 years old and we're at school. And um, one of them, like my mum was kind of moderating sales coming in because we were in class and she'd be texting me and I'd be showing him in like math class under the table. Like we got another sale. My mum just texted me. Um, so that was like the kind of early origins from there. Um, I kind of learned entrepreneurship, marketing, and, and design in tandem. So I embarked on a uh, decade-long freelance career, found some decent success with that. Uh, that kind of transitioned into teaching Photoshop. I started a blog teaching Photoshop. That attracted a few million readers. Um, then kind of got involved in some other ventures, uh, was involved in like editing some books about design and that kind of thing, uh, consulting. And all of this eventually led to the company I'm doing now. And that was about six years ago that I started Design Cuts. So it was like a long journey of learning entrepreneurship, marketing and design and just immersing myself in that world for years and years and years. And then it culminated uh, at this point in, in what we're doing at Design Cuts, which is like the perfect marriage of the two, because we work with the best creatives in the world. We've got this community of hundreds of thousands of creatives, but we're essentially helping uh, people that create design products to sell them. So it's like marketing and design hand in hand. And I freaking love both. So to be able to run a company that have both going on is pretty cool to me. Let's talk about your childhood. What sort of family were you raised in? I mean, what was your home life like? Yeah, I don't have like the, uh, the rags to riches struggle story too much guess I come from pretty middle-class family, uh, you know, really, really supportive parents, um, like nice upbringing, good education, none of the real gritty stuff. So I'm sorry, it might make for a more compelling uh, podcast if I lied on that front. It was like, I was brought up on the streets and I like stole a laptop and started dabbling on this stuff like in a back alley, but it's just not the truth. You know, it was pretty, um, pretty normal upbringing pretty nice upbringing and um, I think a lot of what I'm doing now is on the back of my parents being super supportive and not holding me back and, and trying to champion that. Can you talk about what that supportive parenting looked like? I mean, 
was it conversations at the dinner table was it giving you time and space to be able to do the things that you wanted to do like how did that actually manifest itself in your life um yeah it it, it would be paying an interest uh even if they didn't always understand it to be honest uh it would be, um, yeah, talking to me about it enthusiastically. It would be, at one point, I think they even um, invested like a thousand pounds or something um, as an investment because they were like, here's some capital to help grow what I was doing with the blog. And then I repaid that back with interest as like a matter of principle, um, not too long after that. Um, I remember as well, I, I was so, I think there's a lot to be said in the early days for like really immersing yourself in it and learning your craft and paying your dues. So I remember, especially during the school holidays, summer holidays, I would stay up. Um, and this was so super unhealthy. I'd be in my bedroom, all like blacked out lights, and then just the light of the laptop staring me in the face. Uh, and I'd be like working in Photoshop and learning all this marketing stuff until often like 6, 7 a.m. So what would happen is I would kind of just stumble out of my bedroom at this time, like bloodshot eyes, pale, as my dad was getting up to go to his job. And that's where my supportive parents would sit out, sit down and be like, Tom, we're getting kind of worried about you. This isn't healthy. You need to be out in the sunlight playing kind of thing. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I just, I, I guess I'm pretty good at like getting obsessed with something and really running with it and committing to it and persevering with it. Have you always been like that where something would catch your attention and you're like, I'm gonna tunnel vision on this I'm going to get it. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to make it happen. I think so. I think um, I certainly had elements of that. I don't know if you're the same, but if I really like a band, then, uh, you know, I can like binge listen to them quite intensely, um, especially when I was younger. Uh, I remember stuff like teaching myself how to, how to do keepy ups with a football. And I was out in the garden for like three days until I could do 100. Um, I was thinking about doing some content around being uh, an entrepreneur or like, you know, what, what traits, uh, make you an entrepreneur from being a kid. And I think that perseverance is huge. I remember like building a tree house in the garden with my brother and he'd get bored after a day or two, but I'd have to keep out there until it got completed. When you had that experience at 12 years old and you saw the code, right? You, you did the view source code and you saw it. And it was like yeah. matrix. What steps did you take to start fully immersing yourself in the, in that? Um, I think I, I, I took like free online lessons. Learning HTML was the first step. And I'm not a coder, by the way. My friend is now like a serious developer, very successful in that. I realized that wasn't really my bag. I enjoyed learning it. But I think a lot of it is just you have to immerse yourself in learning, trying different things. And don't feel like you're limiting yourself. There's so many things I've done over the years, which I no longer do, but I wouldn't be where I'm at without trying them. You know, I spent years doing uh, web design. I spent years doing consultancy. I spent years doing photo manipulation. I spent years doing Photoshop tutorials, even dabbling a little bit in like video editing, like all these different areas now morph into what I'm doing now. Like we, we do video work in my company and I kind of more or less know what I'm talking about. Um, when I work with our video team, cause I've dabbled in that stuff in the past, as opposed to like having no exposure to it. So all of these random things, like whatever interests you, especially if you're young and especially if you don't have responsibilities like a family or whatever, 
um, you know, just live and breathe and, and drink it. Like you, you've got to really soak it all up and be a sponge um, and just kind of have faith that if you keep doing that and you keep having that passion, you keep immersing yourself and learning, then you don't know where it's going to lead you. Once you started on that path of total immersion, um, I believe you said that you and your friends started cranking out websites and mm -hmm. some of them would do a couple hundred dollars a month um, and others would just really go nowhere. Um, how did you get those websites to be making that money? Like how did you get up to the hundred to two hundred dollars a, a month or, or more, however much um, you started making? Yeah, yeah, that was actually on certain days it made that. Um, so not every day. Um, I don't even know those early projects. I think like a lot of it would be participating in forums um, quite heavily and it would be in the forum signature and you kind of share it around on there and, and then it would just start to get a, a bit of traction. Um, but I mean, this, this is still, I know that sounds like a lot and it was for a couple of kids, but um, I've learned so much more since about proper distribution. Um, and I, I didn't really know what I was doing back then. You know, I was just trying to see what's, what's stuck. So would you sell products or would you sell ad space? Like how are you actually <laughs> monetizing these sites at 12 yeah. or 14 years old? So I'll give you a pretty random example of one of these ventures. Uh, we had a site called One Million Faces. And I, how, how old are you if you don't mind me asking, Ben? 24. 24. You might be slightly too young to remember this, but there was a guy that had a site called One Million Pixels. And he basically had a grid of a thousand pixels by a thousand pixels, and he would sell each pixel for a dollar. Um, and that pixel would then, if you hover over it, would have like a company's name and you could click through. So the whole thing was kind of a gimmick, um, but he sold out. So he's, he made a million dollars on this gimmick. And at the time, this because it's much earlier stage internet, these things were kind of more exciting. Now I think uh, the internet's matured and people kind of think more about a long-term viable business model back then especially as a kid, I was like, this is crazy. This is the coolest thing in the world. So we tried to do our own uh, fun spin on it. So we had a million faces and we had this giant grid and people could upload a, a selfie or a photo of themselves to the grid um, and just kind of be part of this, this thing. And it was free to upload a photo. But if you wanted multiple grid squares with a bigger photo that had the, the hover over and linked back to your website, you had to pay per square that you bought. And so that was one of the things where it started bringing in like a decent amount of money for a couple of, you know, punk kids working on this. Um, and that, that was a real fun project. And we never hit a million, of course, but we hit like a few thousand uh, people uploading their photos. And, and we had kind of dozens of orders come in, which was pretty sweet. And um, I remember one of my buddies at school uh, worked out that because my mum was moderating what came in. He uploaded a bunch of like random looking grainy images, which looked like not much. They somehow slipped through the moderation filter. And then he picked the uh, grid coordinates. So it pieced together to form an incredibly rude image when it kind of spat it out on the main <laughs> part of the site. So my mom's at home moderating and like nearly falls over and has a heart attack when she sees this thing. <laughs> so you're learning all of this. You're immersing yeah. yourself. And you start to realize, wow, this is this is amazing. Did did you did you identify as an entrepreneur at that point? I mean, were you thinking, 
I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to make businesses. That's what I want to do. Like, where was your mindset at that time? Yeah, I think it always was there. Um, I had a, especially when I was younger, I just thought, yeah, I can do it. This is amazing. Like, this is what I'm put on this earth to do. I think I only started getting imposter syndrome and, and doubt as I got older and it still hadn't taken off for me. And then I start start thinking, well, I really want to do this, but maybe it's impossible or I'm not good enough or, you know, I, I don't know all the angles. So as you as you were getting older and, and in school and you're staying up until, you know, 6 a.m., um, learning and, and working on Photoshop and learning the marketing and all this stuff. Um, how was your how was your relationship with the other students? Like what was your who, who were you in high school? Like how did that all work out? Yeah, so I had like a, a good group of friends and it that was pretty normal. This was kind of like my my random hobby. Uh, and I had my friend who I worked on with this stuff. I had my friends who who didn't have a clue about it and were just cool and they're like, you know, to them it was completely alien. And I guess um, I guess I wasn't that vocal. Like I'm now I'm super outspoken about what I'm doing. All my friends know and support it. But back then, I don't know if I kind of shied away. I didn't want to be like the kind of nerdy Internet guy at school. Uh, and that might sound dumb because now, you know, all the cool kids at school are aspiring to be a YouTuber or whatever. Back then, it was like, yeah, I make websites. Like, it's kind of dorky. But yeah, like I say, it was it was a pretty normal upbringing, I would say. Um, it's just, yeah, re- really, it was dabbling. It was just all hobby stuff. Like, now, it's full-time. You know, I'm running a company. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real job. For a lot of years, it would be those late nights learning Photoshop or reading marketing eBooks. Like, uh, you know, it was just this kind of secret little... Thing which I was working on. Once you left high school, did you pursue college or is that when you started your freelance career? Um, I did pursue college. I thought it would be a good thing to do. Uh, you're probably imagining I went and did something like business or marketing or graphic design. I went and did English Lit because I listened to my parents and they were like, go get a proper degree. Tom, you know, you need that on your record. Uh, so I spent four years up in uh, St. Andrews uh, University in Scotland. And that was basically like not reading a bunch of books that I was meant to be reading and then just trying to, do you say blag in America? Uh, blag, uh, it means kind of, it's like an English expression then, I guess, where it's like you kind of just fake it and uh, kind of luck your way through. So um, yeah, I remember sitting in, a lot of these uh, lectures and tutorials and I'd kind of they go around the room and I'd listen to what other people said and then just take snippets of what they said about this book and just pretend like I'd read it and <laughs> put forth the original argument. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of four years. But um, alongside that, I was doing freelancing. I was doing all these other bits. And so I paid my way through college, which was nice uh, to come out without without a load of debt and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So that was that was kind of the post school journey. How did you launch your freelancer career? Like what actionable steps did you take to start getting traction, start getting business, start getting paid to the point where you could pay for your own college? Yeah, it was in phases. I started it pretty young, actually, probably like 13. 
so not long after I started learning this stuff <clears throat> I thought why don't I try and um, try and make some money out of it even though I really wasn't very good at that point um, so I actually started by doing design contests stuff like uh, Fiverr which now exists so it wasn't Fiverr it was a much earlier website platform but people would post saying I need a website bunch of designers would put in their entries and then they'd pick one and get a couple of rounds of revisions and then and then pay the winner and I remember at first I wouldn't win any of them and then I'd win like one in ten and then as my skills developed and I learned what the clients wanted by the end I was winning about 50 percent which at this point when I was like 14 or 15 maybe was a lot of money because they'd be paying like hundreds of dollars sometimes nearly a thousand dollars and because I'd work very quickly, I'd be able to churn out several at once and be working on projects simultaneously. So that was pretty awesome. That that was kind of the first step. Then I had to <laughs> eat a bit of humble pie and, and try and get real clients and stop doing these contests. And so I, I would literally be going like door to door locally around my house. Um, I would be asking like friends of friends, like anyone I could. So I'd be doing like menus for the local bar or um, I did menus and then a website for a local restaurant, which I still go to now. All that kind of traditional stuff, all the horror stories you can imagine in terms of like clients sitting on your shoulder and micromanaging you and you getting terrible projects and getting underpaid or not getting paid because you didn't have a proper contract, all that kind of stuff. But I don't regret any of that. And I, I alluded to before how hindsight is great because you can kind of see how all the pieces fall together. At the time, you don't really know what you're doing. You're just trying. Um, but only now, it's like we've got a, on behalf of my company, we've got a podcast called The Honest Designers Show. And that's very close to hitting a million downloads, which is more than we ever imagined when we started it two years ago. And only through these experiences can I be one of the co-hosts and talk openly about client horrors and funny anecdotes within that and all this kind of stuff. I never could have done that if I didn't have those sucky experiences trying to find my way. Um, and equally, if I hadn't done all that kind of thing, it probably wouldn't have led me to doing the company I'm doing now because I was just trying to make it as a designer. Like I, I cut my chops, you know, I built credibility. I can now go to meetups. I can communicate and be on a level with other creatives and designers because I've been through the stuff they have too or the stuff they're going through right now. You have to put in the work to, there's no shortcuts, you know. I always say there's no overnight success. You can't just skip over that stuff. You have to pay your dues. On this journey of being a freelancer and going to school and staying up real late and learning, at what point did you start your Photoshop blog? When did that fall uh, in your chronology? So I think I was like 1920, something like that. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was about then. And, and that was during like a summer holiday. And I think I worked out, I was like, some of the best tutorials get like this many views. Um, I think I can do like one a day. And if I times that by the number of days in a month, pretty soon I'll get a, a bunch of views. And I did. So after like the first month, I had like 100,000 visits on my blog. And then it built. And before I knew it, I was getting like a quarter of a million a month on my blog. Um, and that felt awesome, of course. But it was such a learning lesson again, because I was doing what all the internet marketers had taught me to do. I said, how do I do internet marketing? And they all said, you need to go after chasing these followers and go after trying to get loads of traffic. Um, and so I did that and I got loads of traffic, but 
I couldn't turn it into a real long-term viable business. I couldn't scale it into what I wanted. And pretty soon I realized the numbers were meaningless. And now I talk about this all the time, how uh, the engagement is everything. How much people care is so much more important than how many people are in your audience. And I would trade in, you know, half a million, a million of those fleeting visitors uh, from StumbleUpon or whatever crappy traffic source. I trade them all in for like one true fan that supports what I put out, champions me, buys my products, like that kind of thing. They're the people that you want. And it took me a lot of years to realize that because what everyone was selling me was the dream of you need this many people and you convert this many of them through your funnel system and all that kind of rubbish. And actually, like what I've learned is you just want to foster a community of people that actually care about what you're putting out and support you. I want to come back to that concept of how to truly foster. You know what? No, let's let's talk about it now. How do okay. you go about <laughs> and build that community and foster that relationship to where you can create and attract true fans. Yeah, it's, so it's pretty simple um, as a concept, but it's hard to do. You care and you provide them with value. So some of my previous business mentors put this really, really well. They said you can either use your audience or you can serve your audience. And there's a big difference because 99.9% .9 of entrepreneurs out there are using their audience. They're doing something because they want more likes. They want more follows. They want more sales, whatever it might be. They're never actually doing something for their audience. Even when they act like they are, they're not. And people can see through that. It's paper thin when you're kind of pretending to be this giving person. But actually, it's super transparent what you're doing. And you're just trying to like instantly sucker them in to upsell them something. It's the same way when people... Um, when people are like super spammy on social media, um, you know, they're DMing you and be like, Hey, love your content. And like, if you actually bother to write back to those people and it's like, thanks, I appreciate it. And then they're like, I thought I could help you with my business mastery program. Sign up here. Like that's, that's quite an extreme example, but I, I seriously think like 99% of marketers operate that way and it's horrendous. So to actually build um, engagement and then build that tribe of people that care, you need to care about them disproportionately. You need to give and give and give and give. So when I started my company, we had 40 fans on Facebook. And did I spam them into submission? Did I try and use them up for every penny they were worth? No, I made those 40 people my best friend. I knew all about them. I would jump on calls like this with them. We would know about each other's families. I would just really, really care. I would listen to their problems. I'd try and like provide stuff that would help. And I know everyone always looks at like the success stories in the bigger companies and thinks like that's unattainable. I'm jealous of those people in the early stages because you don't have all the big problems of like clunky infrastructure and scale and, you know, a billion moving parts. You can actually start pretty simple with like a basic con concept, a basic value proposition and a super small community that you're genuinely helping. And to give you an example of this, I've started doing my personal brand um, alongside my company. So I'm putting out my own show and for my hobby, I'm helping fellow entrepreneurs for free. I'm not trying to sell them anything. I just enjoy doing it. It's, it's what I fill my spare time with. So I've enjoyed going back to square one with that because I can see this stuff play out from the start again. 
because I got a billion things going on in my day job. You know, I'm CEO of my company, I'm trying to manage 20 people at once. There's always fires within the office. Like it's a lot. So I can then just my my relaxation, believe it or not, is going on Instagram or social media and and getting this new community off the ground. And so I have a weekly call every Friday for two hours with like seven to eight of my most loyal followers where I'm giving them free consultation every single week for nothing, no strings attached. I'm doing a live call every week um, where I go live on Instagram and I give someone an hour's free consultation because I enjoy it. I'm responding to about 40 DMs every day, giving people advice. I'm responding to every single comment. Like, and this goes on and on and on. And I'm a busy guy. I work 12 hours a day with my company and I'm squeezing this in when I can and I'm just trying to do the best job I can. And because of that, I'm building tremendous engagement. I'm building equity with these people. These people vouch for me. These people reg- regularly, you know, review my podcast. They they share me in their stories on Instagram. They shout about me. They recommend me to others. I know tomorrow I could put out a product and they buy it like that, but I'm not looking to use them in that way. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with selling. I'm quite an extreme example because I'm saying I've got a day job. I don't need their money. I just enjoy it, right? It's totally fine for you to have a product and build a community around that and provide value. But there's a huge, yeah, I'm trying to paint like the difference here, you know, between all the, the spammers out there and the people who are using their audience up and then people who are taking my approach and actually just caring about their audience and trying to help them. The gulf is vast. And so when people, people are there being like, no one cares about my content, it's normally because, um, okay, I'll give you something kind of tactical here. I told you I could talk about this stuff forever, right, Ben? <laughs> so, um, all right, here's something tactical. Stop shouting into the void. This is what I say everyone's doing. They're putting out content, and it's like they're bellowing into the noise of the internet. And then they're wondering why no one's talking back. And normally it's me, me, me is, is the message. And even if it's not... It's just shouting, I'm putting out this meme, I'm putting out this post here, I'm putting out this Facebook thing, and then getting really disgruntled and disheartened. Why does no one care? And I always say the best way to build community is one person at a time. And stop being passive and waiting for them to come to you. Go to them. So figure out where your idle followers or customers or community are, and then literally start hitting them up. Not in a spammy way, not like, hey, buy my course, or hey, I wanna bring you value. Um, and you know they can see through that in a second. Get to know them. Like reach out and be like, oh, cool, I really like what you're doing. Comment on their stuff. Build a relationship, not overnight, but over weeks and months. Get to know these people. And when you give and give and give and they can tell you're not about to try and just overnight sell them, they will naturally kind of gravitate towards you if you're good and if you you know, have the right intent and provide value. And they will discover your content and your brand and what you're all about. And they will spread the word. And it takes time. It takes years. Like I'm in this game for the long term. My, my personal brand, for example, I'm not expecting anything for five to 10 years. And I really know what I'm talking about and what I'm doing with that now. And I have the credibility and I'm still going to be that patient because I'm going to enjoy the journey. I'd be miserable if I was like, if I haven't made it and I'm not getting paid outrageously to go and speak around the world and, you know, live that lifestyle within six to 12 months, then I've, I've failed. Like I'd be so miserable. For everybody that's listening I would highly, highly encourage you to go back and to listen what Tom just said a couple times because there were some serious, serious value bombs there and they were kind of like layered on top of each other. 
Um, I would <laughs> highly... I, my, my, <laughs> yeah, my brain's kind of going faster than I can talk on this. So like, if you want to drill down and ask specific questions about it, I, I'll happily break it down and go like even more tactical and give examples of that because this is so much of what I preach. Like, I think it is so vital. I think it's so um, like under-talked about by most people and it's certainly under-practiced by most people. Yeah, let's do that. That sounds amazing. So, cool. so you want to start by building the community and by going one fan at a time, right? How mm-hmm. do you identify exactly what you're going to help that individual with, right? Because I feel like there's there's kind of almost two ways you could go about it. You could say, okay, I'm learning this skill. I have the skill set. I've done these things. Let me teach you that. Or what do you need? Like what are your pain points yeah. Tell, tell me those and then I can help you solve those. Like, Okay, so I'm doing this with um, entrepreneurship, with my personal brand, with my company, it's with design. Have you got like an audience member in mind or a, a vocation in mind? Like, you know, I work with personal trainers, with tennis coaches. I kind of want to run with like a hypothetical example of how this could play out. So, I mean, you you pick which, which kind of thing do you want to go with. Okay, so... This could actually be really, really cool. Um, one of the secret things that I'm launching that it's not secret anymore, but one of the secret <laughs> things that uh, that I'm launching right now is a uh, is called Podcademy, right? And awesome. I want to help podcasters get incredible guests like yourself onto their show, and it's going to be all about helping podcasters and interviewers interview the people that they want. Okay, so maybe within that context we can use that as the hypothetical. Okay, I like it. Um, okay, th- this one's slightly different in terms of what I would do. Um, and le- let me give you su- two uh, super quick examples. So one thing that's highly effective is um, working with your current fans. So presuming that you don't have like 100,000, which I think most listeners wouldn't, um, you can go on your list of followers on let's work with Instagram for now. Um, and you could send a DM to all of them. And I've done this, uh, and we've done it with my company and message them quite simply saying along the lines of, Hey, thank you so much for following me. Just wanted to say, I really, really appreciate it. Um, and you'd word it better than this, but you basically say like, I've got no interest in like, you know, trying to sell you something right now. I truly just appreciate you. Uh, and I'd love to know, uh, within this area, like what are you struggling with? And um, I, I wanna try and help. So let's say um, you are the tennis pro. You could be like, okay, um, you know, thanks so much for following, hope, hope you're enjoying the content and so on. Like, let me know if there's anything within your tennis, um, whether it's like your ball delivery or your you know, grip or whatever that I can help with. Let me know whatever you're struggling with and I promise I'll give you some guaranteed help. To go with your example, you could do the same thing with podcasting because if your platform is constantly putting out content about that subject presumably the people following you are interested in it so it's like thanks so much for following um personalize it a bit be like i went to your profile uh, and i saw you've got this podcast about i don't know coffee beans and it's like love it man like i checked it out i think it's super professional you're doing a great job um i presume that you're following me because you're interested in like landing better guests so let me know like is there any one particular like area of this where you seem to be hitting a roadblock or struggling? And I'd love to do my best to help like free of charge. Now, if you do that with all of your followers, what happens is most will come back. I think when I did it, 
uh, I got like a 50 or 60% return rate. And so suddenly you go from having a dry, empty inbox to being flooded with DMs, which are potential relationships waiting to happen and just conversations. So you've gone from the shouting into the void to actually suddenly you're talking to people. And this does a few things. It lets you build actual credibility in relationships with these people. And it sparks so many ideas because as these people come back, it's going to be giving you ideas for content that they want to see and products. And so the sale can come later because, again, we're not trying to close people on the first date here. So as they're talking to you and you can start to identify patterns, so maybe like five people say, actually, this is the step where I keep like falling over myself. And then you go and put together an Instagram video uh, saying, here's a tip um, with how to overcome this step. And this is what's worked for me. You tag those people up and you say, guys, I hope this helps. Uh, and I really appreciate the great question. You DM follow up with with all five of them and you say, I went and made a video to answer your question. Like, I really hope it helps. And then you do that over and over and over again. And people start to think, oh man, like he really wants to help me. Like he's providing value up front here. Uh, he's not being one of these spammy guys who instantly follows it with a sales pitch because that's such a turnoff. Um, and, you're, and it's gonna benefit your wider audience and your following, not just the five people that ask that question. It's gonna benefit a bunch of people. And that's how you start to become regarded as a bit of an authority figure, right? So that's one way you can do it with your existing audience. And like I say, that's gonna make you so much better because you're gonna have a deeper understanding of who you're serving. And that's not just content, that's everything. It's gonna be like the tonality they use it's going to help you with audience profiling. So when you do create that product or you make the next product or refine your existing product or whatever, whatever it might be, uh, suddenly you're kind of thinking, well, actually everyone I talk to, they're kind of fitting roughly into this kind of demographic and they've got similar pain points and they've got similar aspirations and fears and stuff that they tend to find funny. And they're kind of quirky like I am in these ways. And you're just getting to know these people rather than just guessing. You're not shouting into the void, just trying to presume what these people want to hear. You're actually asking them. You're caring enough to ask and then give it to them. And you can absolutely provide some of this upfront value and these tips. And you're not going to undermine the potential for like in a year's time or whatever, having the robust premium course that brings together all your best advice and a bunch of bonuses and extras. And when for a year you've been doing nothing but providing that value. And then you say, guys, I'm I'm starting to, you know, get 50 DMs a day and I literally can't keep up and I keep giving people the same advice. So I've gone and built this course, which is a more scalable way of me you know, giving out this information. That's kind of the right way to do it. What most people do is they DM 5,000 people and be like, hey, do you want to look at my course? And it's like, no, go away, you loser. Like, that's terrible. Um, another thing you could do, so that's with your internal people. You can have a level of audacity to DM them and just be like, hey, like, let me help you because um, they're already showing an interest by following you. But let's say it's like ideal potential customers who are just out there on the interwebs. I'm going to stick with Instagram for now because I love that platform. Um, you could go and find, uh, do, do research for a day, come up with a massive list of, in this case, podcasters, and then go and hit them all up. And they're going to see through it in a heartbeat. Like I'm a podcaster. If you DM me and I didn't know you and you're like, Hey, like, have I got a tip for you? Like, da, da, da. like I'm at best, I'm going to be like, thanks. At worst, I'm going to ignore it because I'm like, I know what comes next. You're going to pitch me on something. And I might check out your profile. And when you're like, I'm the guy that helps podcasters with this service package, I'm like, well, he's just going to pitch me that. So the way I would do it, particularly with bigger podcasters, is um, I would provide upfront value. I wouldn't be like asking them. I wouldn't put the onus back on them. You could, for example, um, 
like I, I run a design podcast. So if you DM'd me and it's like, hey, I'm trying to connect with as many podcasters as I can and, and provide value for them. Um, I know you're super busy. So I've gone ahead and uh, found this friend of a friend connection who is an unbelievable designer. And I, I'd be happy to introduce her to you uh, as a suggested guest for your show, like completely free, like there's no catch here. I just thought she could be an interesting fit. Let me know if you want me to make the introduction. That would be a really good way to like warm me up. And then maybe you end up doing that a couple more times. And then I think, oh man, this guy's like really coming up with the goods. Um, so then if we then evolve to a point where I'm like, look, I'm happy to pay you a retainer every month to like line up guests for me or to teach me how to do it better myself because you've won my trust. Again, to everybody who's listening, please go back and listen to that a couple times um, because there are some serious, serious value bombs there. Um, that, that's amazing. It, okay, it, it works as well. Like all of this is tried and true. This is not living in hypothetical land. I, I learned this for a long time. I remember trying to teach some of this advice when I had less experience and I would just be regurgitating what other people said or I'd think of something and be like, that's good in principle, so I'm just going to teach it like it's the truth. You've got to try stuff and actually see what works. So I really have gone and messaged a bunch of my followers. I've got my company to do the same and some of the people I've mentored, I've got them to do the same and they report back and they're like, holy crap, these people are loving the fact that I reached out and appreciated them and now I've made three sales on the back of it simply through chatting with my followers instead of just shouting at them on mass so it really really works so let's say that you're engaging these individuals in conversation you're getting to know them you're providing value to them how do you then transfer from doing the one-to-ones where that has a limited amount of scale. I mean, you can only scale up to as much time as you have. Um, how do you then take that next step to really build out the, the project and, and really start ramping it up? Yeah, so there's a few angles here. Um, first of all, I think virtually everyone who is worried about scale shouldn't be yet. Everyone's always like, but that's not scalable. Like, what about when I hit these bottlenecks? And it's like, man, you haven't got five people to care enough yet to actually buy from you. Start with that. Start with getting one person to actually like and trust and, you know, want to buy from you. That would be a start. So I seriously think most people listening shouldn't even worry about that. Like, trust me, if I can do it, like if I can do this with my one hour a day around my crazy day job, like you, you can really find time to do it. Um, it's how I got my company off the ground. I fully believe in it. You cross the bridge when you come to it. So we hit endless spot on X, you know, we do tons of stuff that's unscalable, but it works. And then when it really starts creaking, then there's a billion things you, you can do. You can improve your infrastructure. You can improve your processes. You can delegate out. There's loads of different ways to kind of do it. But I think like right now, um, the worst thing you could do is like go scalable, which probably means like mass spamming or like sending an email that no one's going to open and, um, you know, set up the right funnel system, run ads against it and try and convert like 0.5% of those people onto your lame landing page that, you know what I mean? Like that's the stuff that everyone's teaching. I really believe in that hand to hand combat of just one person at a time, bringing them into the forward, bringing them into the community. So, 
when you were going about doing this for your companies and, and, and doing this now for your for your personal brand, how do you organize and manage your time? Like do you do you batch your tasks? Do you have people helping you in in some sort of like assistant role or, or some sort of managerial role? Like how do you manage your time to where you can be as effective as possible within the limited space as far as time goes? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, do you want to hear more like personal brand or um, company? Because I think possibly the personal brand is more relatable because um, that's the earlier stage and that's really trying to fit it into limited time. Yeah. Company-wise, that you know, we've got a team of 20 people. It's, it's kind of a different setup. Yeah, let's let's talk about the personal branding. Okay, um, so the truth is, I find windows of time when I can. Um, it it you know averages maybe an hour a day, and then time at weekends. And that hour a day might be me doing five minutes walking up the stairs to my flat. It might be ten minutes going around the shops. Uh, like it's that crazy. It'll be like I'm waiting for my food in the microwave, so I'll, I'll get a few DMs out or something like that. Um, so, so one answer if you're short on time is like find time in these little windows because you'd be amazed at how much damage you can do in them. Um, but really, my, my ethos for all kinds of work is like audit what you're doing because most of us have busy work or just wasted time. A lot of people end up just scrolling on social media, for example, in their work hours. You don't really have time for that when you're truly aspirational and ambitious. You've got to um, cut that stuff out and just go laser focused on the work that's going to be impactful. So I think it's great to get like everything out of your head, like like get your goal and make it make it something tangible. So let's run with your podcasting example. What is a um, what's a real like tangible goal that you might want to hit like in the next three months? So in the next three months, I want to have um, I want to get up to uh, to about a hundred. Maybe about 200 listens a day, as far as um, just the stats go on, on the podcast itself. Okay, um, cool. So I'm in a similar position, right? I've only recently started my podcast, and I've got a similar kind of goal. So, uh, and I'm happy being like transparent about this. This is such early days. I haven't really grown this thing up uh, yet, but uh, I think I'm in month three right now. And so my monthly listens, I got like more views on YouTube, but for the actual audio podcast, I think it was like um, December was like 350 listens or something for the whole month. Um, January was like 750. Uh, and then this month is going to be like 1200, 1300, 1400, somewhere in that region. So my goal right now is increase listenership by 50% at least every month. And I think a great way to do that is to appear on other relevant podcasts in your industry because it's a smaller leap, right? If they're on a completely different platform, it's more steps for them to get there. But you, you always want to go laser focused, right? If you're looking for podcast listeners, where are people that listen to podcasts? They're listening to other podcasts. And you don't want to go on like the super generic podcast. So 
if um, if in your space you're trying to teach like early stage entrepreneurship, or you mentioned before like a kind of service thing where you're dealing more with people, if there was a podcast for podcasters for your side project, that would be the dream for you. I, I so believe in going deep with this stuff. So instead of being like, I'm going on the life improvement podcast, you're going on the you know podcast for podcasters and the listenership might be smaller, but you're gonna be more likely to be able to land on there. You're gonna be able to speak more as an expert and bring value to that audience. And it's gonna convert a hell of a lot better because it's so relevant for you. And that's kind of uh, one of my key strategies right now is I'll just jump on a couple of these a week, three of these a week kind of thing, um, try and bring as much value as I can. And then my listeners seem to kind of just be gradually going up. And because I don't have that much time, like, oh, if I, if I could do this full time or even half time, the sky's the limit. Most of my time is like going on looking after my community because my whole thing is I'm patient with this. I'm not pushing numbers. If, I, if my sole goal was to explode my downloads, then I'd be doing more. But right now I'm trying to build depth of relationship with the people that actually are in my community. So I would rather have an inbox that's packed full and a DM inbox that's packed full like it tends to be than just chase the next thousand listens, but no one ever contacts me. So there's kind of a, maybe a, a slight um, disparity in goals to some extent there. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that is always fundamentally what you want to look for. When you're trying to build anything, where are your people and how do you reach them? Like where, where are they hanging out? And it will be other podcasts, but I guarantee it's going to be other places too. It might be Instagram. Maybe it's people, you know, like hashtag new business owner and you go and find all those people and, and then you come up with a short list of those people um, and they are, they're all posting about the excitement of starting a business. So you start hitting them up and providing them with the upfront value like we discussed. Maybe it's that you go on people who are kind of bigger than you in your space uh, and you look for the people in their comments who are like super engaged and basically putting their hand up and saying like, I'm someone who deeply cares about this and is committed. So you're not just like spamming 5,000 random accounts out there. You're going laser focused to the people you know are active on social, positive, responsive, care about your subject matter. And then you're going to them and trying to bring them value. I'm going to say it again to everybody who's listening. <laughs> Please, please, please go back and listen a couple times to everything Tom's saying. I mean, there are some serious, serious value bombs here that you do not want to miss. Um, so, Appreciate that. So, Tom, um, we've talked a lot about your past and how you've gotten to where you are now. Um, and then you dropped some serious nuggets of wisdom there, my friend. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what you, and you kind of alluded to it, but what are you most focused on right now? Like what is your biggest focus? I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a few things. Um, right now we're really pushing our marketplace at my company and that's super fun because that's growing like crazy right now. And I love that. Uh, and for me, it's never even about the money. It's about, I just love to see something grow from nothing to something big and meaningful. I just get the biggest high out of that. So, so that's a big focus with the company. And then I'm starting to, through experimenting with my personal brand, I'm really realizing, and I've done this stuff for years and years and years, like helping folk. Like I remember years ago, I'd be running up to my girlfriend and be like, that guy I've been on a call with twice a week who couldn't pay his mortgage. He can pay his mortgage now and he gets to save his house because of the calls we were on. Like I love that stuff so much. And so that's what I keep coming back to. That's why I'm doing the personal branding now. But what I'm realizing is I don't need to wait 
years and years and years until I like potentially sell my company to go and like focus on that stuff. And I don't even need to just do it alongside my company. So I'm finding ways to bring that back into my company. And so I am now like helping tons of our partners through my company with their marketing and entrepreneurship. Uh, and we're starting to now put out uh, content around that within my company. And and for a long time, I thought that would be um, impossible. I thought, well, we're a creative company. We're all about design. I can't really talk about the business stuff I'm passionate about. And it's like, it turns out you can. And the way I see it is like, I love my company. Um, but let's say I love it like 97%. When you find that thing that you're 100%, 110% passionate about, I'm really learning that like, when you go all in on that and find a way to make it work for you. And there normally is, there's normally a way to make it commercially viable. When you do that, like you just get home at the end of the day and you feel pumped up and energized and like happier. Yeah. Like it's, it's really cool. And so I'm finding that like within my 12 hour days, it will be like, um, it will be back to back meetings and calls and like business development and all that kind of stuff. But instead of feeling completely drained, I feel invigorated by it. And I, I, I don't even know what the question was anymore. I just got carried away there. <laughs> um, yeah, that, sorry, what I'm working on right now. Yeah, that basically. So uh, I am working on um, being introspective enough to fully realize what I care about the absolute most and then go after that aggressively rather than being like most of the way there. So can you take a few, just a little bit of time to speak about exactly what Design Cuts is, and um, you know, don't be afraid, don't be afraid to brag a little bit and really tell us like <laughs> you know, all the amazing things that are going on at your company. Yeah, sure, man. So, um, in a nutshell, we are a platform for creatives, whether you're a web designer, graphic designer, digital illustrator, letterer, all that kind of thing, um, and we basically sell the resources and products and tools that these people use day to day. So it might be that someone's like doing um, art on an iPad with an app called Procreate and we sell like these really cool brushes they use on that. Or it might be that you're a branding agency or a freelance designer and you need some time-saving templates um, to use on your client work or a font for that snazzy new website or logo that you're making. So we sell all that kind of stuff and then we support it with this unbelievable community, uh, all these learning resources, freebies. And I just... We're, we're really becoming that hub where it's like the go-to place for designers and I love it. And the community is so awesome. Like they're really passionate. They're really friendly. They're in there like helping one another out and learning and inspiring each other. I love the creative community in general, but I think we've got something really special. Um, so that's kind of the surface level. And then within that, we've really just become known as like the nice guys and girls in the industry because we look after our community and our customers so well. We're kind of like, don't take ourselves too seriously. Uh, we put out like these ridiculous videos. Uh, we did one last year where I decided we'd have a live game show where we did a webinar to like a thousand people. We weren't even selling anything. Um, and we had like these glitzy gold blazers on and bow ties and had like a spinning wheel with prizes. And so we're kind of known for like doing like cheeky fun stuff like that and being a bit disruptive. Um, but on the more serious side, we've also got USPs, which make us like hands down, like the no brainer option for designers. It's like, we're cheaper. We've got better licensing, got better product quality. So I think you need like the serious side of like, here's why I can confidently say we're the best. 
and then the brand side where it's like we're also disruptive fun human approachable look after you that kind of thing so i'm very happy that we've got both there you go nice and arrogant for you <laughs> what do you see for yourself in 5 10 20 years what's the future for tom the future is that my company becomes more and more autonomous without needing me uh, in every area so much, but I'm still very hands-on, uh, that we've grown it to become much bigger than it is currently, but we've got, as we grow, often you lose that personal feel, but I wanna over-index and do more of that, and we're pushing that quite hard right now, so I wanna have even more of a community feel. I wanna be doing tons of like, you know, real-life uh, meetups in London and around the world. Uh, I want to be flying around the world speaking uh, and doing that kind of stuff and trying to inspire other creatives and entrepreneurs. I want to have released at least one book, hopefully a bestseller. Um, I want to continue consulting. We're talking about start doing a startup incubator, me and one of my business partners. So I want to be uh, using that mentorship, um, but in exchange for equity in companies to diversify my income by having shares in them and also being inherently lower risk than like the stock market because you can actually have a say in how the company does. Um, yeah, it's going to be a busy five years, I hope. <laughs> so, Tom, I want to thank you so, so much for uh, for, for coming on the interview today. Um, I have a few more questions for you and then, uh, then, then we can wrap up. Yeah, um, sure, man. So one of the bedrocks of this show, one of the foundations is connection, right? Um, connection between you and I as friends, as, as guest and host, connection between you and the audience members, me and the audience, the audience members with each other. And it's something that I am obsessed with and obsessed with learning about. What is your philosophy on truly establishing a deep, meaningful and very authentic human connection with another person? I think the intent has to be pure. People can see through. Like if right now I was, there's a lot of stuff, right? If right now I'm here and I'm mirroring you in terms of tonality and, uh, and, and the lexicon that you're using, that goes a certain extent, right? But you're going to see through it if I have like these nefarious plans for, well, I'm going to pitch you immediately after that. So I think just having pure intent um, goes a long way. I think when you're doing that without expectation, that's huge as well. Uh, the way I see it is like every day I'm trying to plant dozens, if not hundreds of seeds. And then I never look at the seed again to some extent as in I'm just like, nice thing, nice thing, help, 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 help. I'm never like going back and be like, hold on, I helped you. Like, where's my reward? You know, I just do it and then I kind of forget about it. And then some of those people I don't hear from again um, and then others um, become like fans for life and others open up doors and possibilities that I never could have imagined just through the natural like karma of of building those real connections and, and not always going for that ask up front. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I think about that stuff. But to give you an example, I could jump off this call and we, we can never talk again. It's entirely possible. Like I've, I've done a bunch of these with some very nice people and, and we'll probably never talk again because um, we're all busy. Or I can genuinely say to you, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I can genuinely say to you right now, um, if you hit me up on Instagram, 
and need any follow-up advice about any of this stuff, like I will give you a guaranteed response. I'll probably like video response back to you, like literally any questions. And I know what my time is worth. I know what my consultancy rate is. I don't care about that. I will help you for free. How's that for connection? And then I don't know what's going to happen. Probably nothing. I might get nothing back from that or I might get something small. Maybe, maybe I do that for a while and, and you end up telling three friends. Um, and so I get three new fans. Uh, maybe one of those friends opens up a door to something else. Maybe you go on to be a huge success yourself and blow up and then your podcast becomes huge and we maintain a friendship. And because I was there, um, from the start and, uh, and I gave without expectation and built a real relationship, then that goes on to benefit both of us. And, and we partner in ways that no one else can, because when you're a huge name and they're clawing at you, trying to get your attention, like everyone else, you know what their intent is. Like that's connection for me, right? And I mean that, by the way. Like seriously, hit me up. <laughs> I I definitely will. <laughs> so, yeah, cool, man. Let's keep in touch. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so, how do you define wealth? Hmm, it's a good question. I'm gonna say contentment and I'm not saying happiness because I think happiness can be um, more short term or in my mind it is you know you can you can do temporary stuff to trigger fake happiness and trigger the right hormones going off you know like drugs can make you happy in the short term right um, but I think being truly content and, and that combines elements of happiness and, um, and passion and, and so on and um, I, th I think we all know that, you know, wealth is not always financial. Uh, there's a lot of ways, I think, to be wealthy in in life. And, um, you know, I'm sure the financials absolutely help as well. Um, but for me, if I can just be truly content day to day uh, or, you know, more often than not, that's a pretty awesome thing. What do you fear the most? Um, I mean, apart from the obvious, like, you know, your loved ones getting sick and that kind of thing, um, professionally, I, I guess like, uh, a lot of the stuff we all do like rejection, um, uh, being completely ignored, that kind of thing where if it's like, you're just trying to, you're trying to do it and you're trying to put all this stuff out there, but then essentially the market, uh, just goes, nope, you suck. We're not having it. Um, and even when it's going well, you kind of have that in the back of your mind because it, it, things things can change and, and develop. And um, yeah, I, I'm pretty like, to be honest, not that much because I'm pretty confident. Like what I told you about my five-year thing, it's not like, oh, that would be a nice pipe dream. Like in my head, it's done. So it's going to happen. Um, but I guess you always have that tiny, tiny fragment of lingering fear where it's like, what if it doesn't? And it's all a fallacy and actually it unravels. So again, Tom, I want to thank you so, so much for uh, coming on the show today. Um, I have two more quick questions for you, and then, then we'll wrap up. Um, actually, three. Scratch that. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been talking a lot about your professional life, um, but what's been going on in your personal life throughout this whole time and all this tremendous success? Um, had, a, had a very supportive girlfriend, and still do, uh, supportive family. I, <clears throat> to get the company off the ground, 
I worked 18 hours a day, seven days a week. So I did over 100 hours a week um, for nearly a year and a half. Ended up putting myself in the hospital, having major stomach surgery, and then got chronically ill for two years after that and still have kind of much more minor residual health issues. Um, so I, I basically, I adopted the whole like hustle culture thing, if you're familiar with that. Uh, and I lived and breathed that before it had become quite as popular in the mainstream. And, um, and that was all I did. I, all I did was work and I worked so frenetically, um, to get everything off the ground. And then like I said, I had two years of being super sick. Like I could barely stand up. I was like an 80 year old man. Uh, just white and dropped all this weight and shaky and and really really unwell. I was like bed bound for bits of it. So I had to get a dietitian. Had to work with a personal trainer to try and build my strength back up. Had to see a therapist to try and undo this horrendously damaging like workaholic nature that I developed and find a bit of balance and self compassion. Um, so yeah, that's been quite a lot of like big personal stuff in the last few years. And, and thankfully now I'm out the other side and feeling way more content, um, you know, back to like physical health and strength and, and, and the health issues are like much more minor and, and manageable and heading in the right direction. So is there anything about yourself that you think is an important part of who you are that I did not ask you about today? In other words, what did I miss? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I think we touched on a, a, a lot of the key cornerstones. I mean, a lot of my ethos, I've got like a few fundamental pillars. So it's stuff like um, being a decent person. It's stuff like the human side of marketing and not just reducing people to followers and numbers. Um, it's stuff like quality over quantity. And you can take a lot of these principles, you know, stuff like providing value and, and caring. And you can take a lot of these principles and, and they're pretty simple as a concept. But then there's like a thousand threads off of that. And there's tens of thousands of hours of work you can commit to that. So something like care about your followers, easy to say, right? What's hard to do is to work loads of hours messaging and getting back to everyone and caring and investing that time. You can say quality over quantity. But that might be uh, bothering to learn and master Facebook ads so that you're going laser targeted on the right section of people instead of just spamming the masses and being like, oh, I didn't get a good ROI. So all of these pillars for me are kind of what I live by um, with, with business anyway um, and life, I guess. Um, and I try and follow them as like my North Star. But then I always think like you get your concept, you get your creative application, and then you get your execution. And this is something I've talked about in my content. So, um, you know, you need to work out what your pillars are. So let's say it is being nice to people um, and caring about them. You get the creative application. That might be, for example, what I talked about in terms of messaging all of your existing followers. So it's like, okay, that's a creative way that I can care about people. That would be a cool way of doing that. And then you've got the execution of I'm going to sit here for two hours a day for the next fortnight and actually put in the work to do it. And then you can just do that over and over again. Like concept, creative execution, creative application, execution. Last question for you, Tom. Um, and this is a bit of a selfish question, so... Uh... <laughs> humoring me cool. a little bit um, 
I'm 24, like I was saying earlier. Uh, I have a mm-hmm. couple different businesses. The show is my greatest passion. Um, what question should I be asking you that I just wouldn't think to ask? Hmm. How to the the best way to achieve your biggest goal, whatever that is in business. If it's like going purely selfish, although hopefully it would be helpful for the listeners. Um, I know you mentioned about like increasing the podcast numbers and that kind of thing, but like your actual like biggest goal, what's like the lofty aspiration? So your your five year thing or whatever. Um, I wanted I want to turn the show into. I mean, literally the the biggest and the best mm-hmm. um, resource for entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs to build a business and create their dream life so that we can all live in a better world together. I mean, that, that is the, the dream. That's the, the goal. Cool. So there's a, there's a couple of angles there. One is that, um, you know, if you're looking at like, I don't know, Ellen DeGeneres or like Oprah or someone, they didn't get there overnight, right? They've helped thousands and thousands and thousands of people and gone through all kinds of hardships. So part of it is just the patience. And if you really want to become this resource for entrepreneurs, it's like, okay, go and help 10,000 entrepreneurs over the next 10 years and pay your dues and get there um, and do that with the right intent. So um, a lot of the stuff I'm talking about, you know, serving that audience, not using them. Um, it's just getting to work on that and just providing value and planting those tens of thousands of seeds within that community, fully immersing yourself in it and being become known as an authority of, of someone that gives instead of takes. So that would be one thing. Um, another thing which you might not want to hear, it depends how like brutally honest you want me to be. A hundred percent, please. Okay. So I think the people that do best in this space are the ones that have uh, real credibility of being a successful entrepreneur. I think it's very difficult to teach entrepreneurship when you haven't been a successful entrepreneur. And I know that because I've done it myself. I feel so much better equipped to do it now um, because I've you know, built a, a successful company and scaled out a team and, and that kind of thing. And when I tried it before, I couldn't be fully committed to the advice I was giving because I just didn't have that credibility. I didn't have that success. And and a lot of the best examples, um, like Andrew Warner, for example, of Mixergy, I know that he actually went and, and had built a successful business beforehand. So it might be that right now is not yet the time to like, you know, you're doing a great job of like interviewing people. You're a fantastic interviewer. And, and if you're just like soaking up all this knowledge and this expertise, but you just get, you, you need to get out there and like put it into practical application as well. So if you are constantly like, finding mentors, soaking up advice, getting better and better and learning and doing. Um, and alongside that, actually like building, you know, maybe a bunch of micro businesses or maybe one like healthy sized business there. That is not only going to give you infinitely more credibility and expertise, but it's going to, it's going to make your content that much more compelling. Um, so if in let's say 10 years you're, you're there and you're like, I built like, you know, seven or eight figure business and I've interviewed, um, you know, 2000 entrepreneurs and got the best golden nuggets and distilled them down and tried what they're telling me and, and seen how it's played out. And I've helped 10 to 20,000 aspiring entrepreneurs and just given value. Um, that would be the kind of path to get there. 
but as I'm sure you can see, that's a lot of work and it's fraught with risk and all the other good stuff of entrepreneurship. But I really believe that's like the best path to true success instead of what so many people do, which is trying to hide behind smoke and mirrors because I think that gets exposed. Tom, I am so incredibly grateful for uh, for all the time that we've been able to share together and, and the information that, that you've shared and uh, the wisdom. It's been awesome. And uh, it- it was my pleasure and I, I just want to say like I, I do a few of these and I think you're one of the better interviewers and I think you've got a really nice style and I think your intent seems really pure so straight away that elevates you above a, a lot of people well thank you very much for that Tom that uh, really does mean a lot and I, and I appreciate that and to everybody that's listening um, I want to thank y'all so much uh, for, for supporting the show and listening or watching. Um, y'all are the best, and I love you guys so much. So uh, thank you very much for for being awesome. Um, Tommy, you want to wrap us up? Yeah, sure, man. I just want to say thanks again for having me on. Insanely jealous of the accent. I'm sure I'd have double the fan base if I uh, had a cool southern accent like you. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you don't mind me like putting out a, a public thing, I would say for yourself, but also anyone listening, hit me up on Instagram at Tom Ross Media and mention that you listen to the show. And if you do that and then prop me like any questions, I promise I'll get back to you. Uh, and I'd, I'd really appreciate hearing from you and just want to try and give any value. And um, I promise I will not follow it up with like, and buy my 99 cents ebook uh, in the next message. Um, and and sorry and if uh, is it okay if I mention like um, my show? Yeah, please do. Cool. Um, yeah. So if if you also want to check out the Honest Entrepreneur Show, that's where I talk forever about all of this stuff because I love it and I think it's fun. <laughs> all right, everybody. I highly encourage y'all to reach out to Tom on Instagram and um, and and go to his podcast. Um, just for the record, I had no idea that he was going to make that very, very generous offer. So thank you very much for that, Tom. That's incredible. Um, Anytime. And uh, this has been another Project Egg interview where uh, we get to talk to entrepreneurs who are changing the world. Um, so, you know, we're, we're doing this because we want to help you build your business, create your dream life so that we can all live in a better world together. Um, so thank you, and I'll see you very, very soon. <laughs>